Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a very interesting founder, a founder from India. Uh, and you know, I think that we're gonna be learning quite a bit, you know, about pivoting, quite a bit about turning things around and and creating something, you know, interesting, you know, at the end of the day. So I guess without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Rohit Parangpi. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Alejandro. It's a pleasure to be here. So you're originally born and raised in Mumbai. So how was life growing up in Mumbai? Life actually was very different from, from what it is today. As uh, you know, born in a middle-class uh, Indian family, uh, the major focus at all times was education. Uh, you know, that's what we really focused on uh, most through growing up. Uh, majorly spent in, in Bombay in the localities playing cricket. Uh, you know, the typical Indian story that, that everyone really hears. Uh, it's, it's more towards college. Uh, I did my engineering from Bombay itself, uh, but while I was doing engineering, I started venturing out quite a bit, uh, you know, traveled a bunch across India and outside. Uh, my dad is actually a petroleum guy. So my dad was based out all over across the world. Uh, you know, he was based in the Middle East for, for a long time. Uh, he was in Canada, uh, in Alaska as well. Uh, and so got to travel a bunch, uh, and that's, that's when I really started looking at things differently, uh, and sort of broadened my horizon in terms of what really happens, uh, you know, outside of India, uh, got a lot of technology exposure, uh, while at it. And I think, uh, that sort of led to the, the foundations in terms of, uh, how I started thinking. Very cool. And obviously you, as you were mentioning, you went and studied engineering, you know, why is it that every single person, every single entrepreneur that I speak with from India, you know, does an engineering? What, what's going on with engineering? <laughs> sure. Uh, so as I said, right, uh, you know, most middle class traditional families in, in India, uh, and, and it's slightly changing now, but at least about 10, 15 years back when we were studying, uh, there were only three real acceptable professions if you're remotely smart. Uh, and those three professions are you're, you're either a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. Uh, and I wasn't really good at biology. Uh, neither did I have too many interests in law. So I think the only option that I was left with was, was pursuing in engineering. Got it. And obviously you really had the entrepreneurial bug. 
uh, and you had that in you. I mean, is there anyone in your family that was an entrepreneur as well, or or how did you you know come across the idea of maybe you know building and scaling companies could be your thing? Sure. Uh, actually, it's 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 very interesting and weird at the same time. Uh, I'm actually the first entrepreneur in my family, uh, you know, and and we actually speak about this quite a bit because uh, everyone in my family is extremely risk averse. Uh, but the interesting part actually was I never really saw this as a risk, right? Uh, so after engineering, uh, I think the, the biggest thing that I wanted to do was solve a problem. And 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 I know it's quite cliche when I say this, uh, but in all reality, uh, you know, probably about till my third venture, uh, I never really even considered myself an entrepreneur. I was just trying to solve a problem uh, and do the best that I can do at it. Uh, and it's just sort of... Uh, went from one thing to another, uh, you know, started my first company, didn't really enjoy it. Uh, a, a random life experience uh, sort of led me to my second one. Uh, and then from there on, it was, that is when I really started looking at it as, uh, you know, okay, I'm an entrepreneur and I need to build a business, need to scale it, uh, so on and so forth. So it's, it's quite accidental. So then obviously, you know, quite accidental and we're going to be talking about also all the accidents, you know, involved because the journey of an entrepreneur is full of accidents and it's quite bumpy. And in your case, it was quite bumpy, very bumpy, you know, with, with some of your businesses and how you had to do the pivot to really get to product market fit, you know, with which you've done with your with your latest one. But with your first one, you know, like there was something off. I mean, you helped here on building up the business and then you walk away. How did this happen? Yeah. Uh, so the first company that I started, uh, you know, was completely out of my wheelhouse. Uh, it was an organization development and training company. Uh, and literally I started it because, uh, you know, after engineering, uh, the only thing that I was sure of was I did not want to be an engineer. Right? I wasn't sure about anything else uh, about what I wanted to do. Uh, and here comes along a bunch of friends, uh, you know, who've been working the corporate circuit, uh, being trainers. Uh, one of them was a trainer with McKinsey. A couple of others who are well-known psychologists in India. Uh, and they come along saying, hey, you know what? We're going to start a training business. And we need someone who is young, who can speak, who will essentially do the biz dev and the, and the client management. Uh, and we can't seem to find anyone. Do you want to sort of partner with us and start this? Uh, and literally, as I said, right, uh, it is quite accidental. Right from there, uh, I had nothing to do. I said, okay, let's, let's just do this instead. Uh, and so that's the journey that I started on. Uh, but both from, uh, you know, probably buying into the product that you sell, uh, right. And secondly, from an interest standpoint, it's, it's not something that really excited me, uh, that made me wake up in the morning. Uh, and then literally by chance, uh, you know, I was, I was coming back from office, uh, one day, this was late in the night. Uh, I was taking an auto rickshaw to, to go to the railway station to take a train back home. Uh, and this auto guy in the night about 11.30 looks at me, I look tired, uh, and he's like, do you want to listen to music? And I'm like, sure, just just play whatever you have. Uh, and the guy passes me a, a deck of CDs, uh, which is quite rare uh, for an auto rickshaw in India. Uh, and I selected one, one DVD out of it, and it actually had really good music. Uh, and so when I got down at the end of the journey, I tipped him 10% over, which again is a very strange thing to do for auto rickshaws in India. Uh, and on the way back, I'm thinking, hey, if if me, who rarely has just started out on his career, uh, can tip 10% of the of the transport fee for entertainment, uh, maybe there's an opportunity here. And and that's totally what what 
made me wake up the next morning call my partners and say hey you know what uh, my heart's not in this anymore uh, i've found something that i'm really excited about and and i think that's what i'm going to pursue so what happened next uh so literally i mean uh, i am a chemical engineer by education so i had no idea what a technology company is uh so literally the next day i started with opening up a computer and figuring out uh, you know what all exists inside a computer uh and the thought process here really was uh you know the way i envisaged it i wanted to start this this entertainment system in in a cab uh and so the first question that popped in my head was you know how do i make a computer that fits in, inside a cab uh and so i opened up a computer i looked at every component and i said okay now how do i miniaturize every single one of these and i'm still talking 2010 when tablets hadn't really hit the mainstream at least in india right uh and so we're literally trying to figure how do you miniaturize a, a desktop to fit inside a car uh and that's the journey that i really set on so the first year or so uh literally went in in reinventing the wheel um miniaturizing the computer uh, i worked with some local companies here uh including wipro uh finally found an effective solution from hp uh which was a mini pc at that point uh and then we had the first running prototype inside a car in 2013 uh which is based on linux uh and 2013 mid is when the android tablets hit india uh and i looked at them and said hey you know what this is a far better uh, platform to build something on and so we scrapped a year and a half of work we started on an android tablet built our software stack on top of it uh, and had our first solution ready in about September October of 2011 got it so so then you know obviously here you know like there was um you know it was quite interesting the journey with the uh, moving infotainment because you know it obviously took a little bit of time to really get it you know uh, up and running and i know that you guys had quite a quite a nerve-wracking you know moment where all of a sudden you know you realize that that you're running out of money so uh because you could not monetize why were you not able to monetize sure sure so i think in 2012 uh, is when we got our first client it is a local cab company that is based out of bombay uh, and these guys had closed about uh, you know 1000 odd cabs or a plan to launch 1000 odd cabs in bombay uh, that would make them the largest fleet in bombay uh, and th- those are the first guys that we went and pitched to uh, and and they were really happy with the solution uh, the problem that we ran into was the commercial model right because there's an asset involved the asset is expensive uh the cap company was very clear that they don't want to invest in the asset uh, because that's not their core business uh and we said it's okay we will invest in the asset and we'll monetize uh you know using advertising as as a monetization mechanism uh obviously for advertising especially in india uh, you know it is too early people were confused in terms of uh, you know till we do we categorize this platform as an out of home platform do we categorize it as a digital platform uh, how does it really work uh, the connectivity in india at that time wasn't you know good enough for for demand side platforms to deliver or ad networks to deliver ads to this platform directly so we sort of had a buffer mechanism that wasn't really uh, you know did not go well with the digital advertisers uh, and so we sort of in between stuck in a, in in industry limbo uh, and although we managed to get the scale in terms of consumption numbers i mean uh, i think even out of all the statistics that have happened in india today uh, i i think this system still boasts one of the best statistics uh, so on an average we had close to about 72% engagement 
uh, of the people that traveled. Uh, and this was largely because content was a big strength that my team got to the table. Uh, and we had some really good content on it. Uh, and out of a 44, 45 minute average journey, uh, in the average consumption that we had was 32 minutes. Uh, so from a consumption angle, it was, it was fantastic. Uh, we got a lot of advertisers, including a Microsoft, a BlackBerry at that point, uh, you know, the local telcos, FMCG guys, uh, to test this platform. Uh, but we couldn't really become a part, uh, you know, of their sustained campaigns or national campaigns. Uh, and then we ran out of money and we didn't have enough money to sort of deploy more hardware. Uh, and so at, at there's a point in time where we had to take a call whether, uh, you know, we're going to invest more of our own money into this or pull the plug. And I think uh, we sort of decided to pull the plug. So what was that moment like? Because, I mean, pulling the plug is a, is a tough one. You know, pulling a plug on your baby, you know, where you've poured, you know, all the tears and the sweat. I mean, how is that process until, you know, you realize that this is real and that, you know, there's no other way than, you know, to just, you know, let it go? Sure. Uh, it, it was extremely difficult. Uh, and in all reality, you know, either me nor my co-founder uh, really wanted to pull the plug. Um, we, we really kept it running, uh, invested all of the money that we had in it. Uh, uh, but finally, it literally came down to, you know, we had raised a bunch of capital uh, from family and friends, and we went back to them saying, guys, we don't want to shut this down. We believe in it too much. Uh, can you please invest more money? And and they, I think, uh, you know, could see it without a bias. Uh, and so they refused to invest more money because they said, hey, you know what, there's no sustainable revenues generation uh, opportunity available. Uh, and you're not going to be able to do more from a consumption standpoint because the consumption stats are already through the roof, right? Uh, so from a capital standpoint, doesn't make sense. We're not going to invest more money. Uh, you guys figure it out on your own. And we just did not have cash. So uh, we sort of forced to do it. But yeah, one of one of the toughest uh, days that I've had to deal with. And obviously, they, you know, people always say that that you know I've heard many times the quote that that people don't really learn much from their successes. They really learn from the failures. And, you know, I think that on the failures, there's always great lessons, you know, for, for us to learn. So I guess, what was your lesson, the lesson that you had to learn from this experience? Sure. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I honestly do believe that, that failures teach you far, far more than success ever can. Uh, and I think the two key lessons that I took away from that experience was uh, the first one was that don't make advertising. Uh, and, and sorry, I, 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 it's just my learning. It's, it's not something that applies across industry. Uh, but for an asset-based model, do not ever use advertising as your only core source of revenue uh, because it's too fluid a revenue stream uh, for it to be consistent uh, and, and you're risking too much. Uh, but the second major important part was, uh, you know, unit economics is, is something that, that's vital uh, for the health of a business. And how much ever, uh, you know, all the other metrics might say otherwise, if you don't have your unit economics in place, uh, the business doesn't make economic sense. Got it. And that's very powerful, by the way. I think that being able to build organic distribution channels is something that entrepreneurs typically overlook. Uh, and definitely something that investors really appreciate. So, so I'm glad that you touched on that. So, I guess the um, you know, obviously for you, then you know, like once you really you know got back up and you were able to reflect, then you know you started again. So, what was the next business? Yeah. 
So again, uh, the next business, as as most things in my life are, was an accident. Uh, so what really happened is when we shut down the company and we started figuring out, okay, what do we do now? Uh, and how do you liquidate the assets? Uh, we realized that the biggest asset that we were sitting on was uh, we had acquired content rights for one year. Uh, and we still had close to about seven months on that year to go. Uh, and and so we said, hey, uh, we're sitting on close to about three, four hundred thousand dollars worth of content rights at that point, uh, and we have no distribution channel for this anymore. Uh, so what can we do? And literally, it was it was on a whim wherein uh, you know my co-founder said, hey, uh, why don't we just build something like Netflix and we can distribute this content out there? Uh, so that's the that's really the uh, the one core thought process where uh, you know we sort of pivoted into digitainment. Uh, obviously, neither me nor my co-founder. Uh, came from a technology background. Uh, so we collaborated with another two people uh, who came from a tech background, who, uh, who had experience building tech platforms, uh, and essentially started Digitainment with the four of us as co-founders. Got it. So then how was that journey with Digitainment? It is, it is actually quite interesting. So uh, this was just a thought at the back of which we started Digitainment, right? We, we really had no clue about the OTT business. We didn't know how it's going to function. Uh, we didn't know how, gonna, how we're going to manage distribution, get to people, uh, make them, you know, utilize this. The internet scenario in India was still quite far, far uh, away from what it is today. Uh, and so the, the simple thought process that we came from is we said, hey, uh, Google has, uh, you know, Google Play uh, Store and Play Play Movies uh, or Play Video as as a base for people to to discover content on. Uh, Apple has the App Store and and the an iTunes Store to sort of discover content on. Uh, Microsoft doesn't seem to have a video store. Uh, we have video content. Uh, can we go and uh, you know set up a video store for Microsoft? Uh, and that's how we went to Microsoft and said, hey, we have a tech platform that can act as an OTT platform. Uh, why don't you set up a, a, a Windows store? Uh, and Microsoft said, hey, you might not know this, but uh, you know, we don't have a video store in India, uh, but we actually have something called as Xbox Video, in, uh, which operates in multiple territories across the world. Uh, but Nokia is actually trying to set up a video store, and they're looking for partners to do this. Uh, so why don't you go approach Nokia instead? And, and that's how we went to Nokia. Uh, and Nokia at that time had a, has a music service called OV Music that used to run. Uh, and they were looking for someone to set up the video, video service for them. And it sort of worked out at the, at the appropriate time. Uh, and we launched Your Movies, which was the, the default services uh, that sort of coincided with the Nokia Lumia series launch in India. Uh, and so Your Movies became the de facto video service uh, across all Lumia devices uh, starting 2013. Got it. And obviously here again, you experience catastrophe. Catastrophe meaning that you need to pull the plug once again. What happened? It's, it's actually true, right? And, and, and the more difficult part actually, uh, here, I would say, was, uh, you know, with Mobi, we never really made money. Uh, so it wasn't a problem. Uh, with Digitainment, what happened is we actually made money in 2014, 2015 uh, and started bleeding badly in 2016. Uh, so literally what happened is your movies was not, uh, you know, like, uh, like an ODD service that you see today, wherein it's a B2B, it's a B2C service. Uh, the way we set up your movies was that it was a B2B2C service. Uh, so what happened is we sold the value prop to Nokia, uh, and Nokia actually subsidized it 
into the cost of the handset for the users, right? So when when a user got an Nokia Lumia handset, uh, based on the value of the handset, the user would get anywhere between three to a 12-month subscription of the service free. Uh, and Nokia used to pay us on a per-device basis. Uh, so that's how we made uh, you know, a bunch of money in 2014, in 2015. Uh, what the, really the mode for us was uh, you know, our content acquisition cost versus how, what does that feature as a per-device cost which Nokia can absorb as a marketing budget. Uh, and this model fell flat on its face after 2015 when Netflix and, and Prime uh, sort of came into India. Uh, they, uh, they started acquiring exclusive rights. They drove the content acquisition costs uh, probably five to six X of what they were in 2014. Uh, and even the local broadcasters started investing in, uh, you know, in the ODD space in India. Uh, and so literally over one year of, of content renewal rights, what happened is uh, our total content acquisition cost went up by close to about 540 odd percent. Uh, and obviously our, our revenue could not scale at that pace. And so the model fell flat on its face. Uh, and so we still ran it for, for close to about six months, uh, led for those six months. And again, based on the learnings uh, I've, I'd had earlier, we said, hey, uh, this model is not going to make sense anymore. So let's just pull the plug while uh, we are still positive. Uh, and call it a deal. So, so that was uh, what happened with Digitainment. Got it. And then obviously after this, you started your biggest success uh, to date, Sugarbox. So how did you come up with the idea of Sugarbox and how did you bring it to life? Sure, sure. So, so Sugarbox actually, uh, you know, in many ways, uh, I, I say this a lot to people that, uh, you know, I think I started Digitainment only because I, I needed to, uh, to stumble upon Sugarbox. Uh, and literally what happened is, uh, while we were running Digitainment, uh, in 2014-15, when we ran, uh, you know, a support center, uh, close to about nine out of 10 calls, uh, that we got on the support center, uh, could fit into two buckets. Uh, the first bucket was, which is about four out of 10 calls where a person used to call and say the service is not working. Uh, and we discovered that the service isn't working because the guy did not have mobile data. Right, or stable enough mobile data for, uh, for him to stream video. Uh, the stranger part, however, was the largest chunk, which is five out of 10 calls. Uh, a person would call and say, hey, you or Nokia has advertised that the service is free, uh, but I'm being charged for data. Right? And we had to explain to him saying, hey, the, the, the content subscription is free, but we can never give you data for free. Uh, but, but if you look at it from the consumer standpoint, uh, you know, the consumer is coming from uh, from a TV background and he was correlating how it worked uh, on TV in India. And the way it works with TV is you pay one cost and after that you consume as much as you want uh, and you don't get charged anymore. Uh, so that that was the way people perceived it. And so Sugarbox really uh, was born out of one single thought process saying uh, consumers in India are shifting over from broadcast to digital. Uh, but the experience of broadcast versus the experience of digital is, is extremely different. Uh, so can you really replicate the experience from broadcast, uh, which typically is, you know, uh, an experience guarantee on the service, unlimited consumption, uh, and a single cost of the service uh, onto the digital ecosystem, wherein that's not how it works. Uh, and that's how Sugarbox is born. Got it. And obviously, I mean, Sugarbox, a... Uh... Quite an amazing uh, success. I mean, you guys have uh, gotten, 
I think it's a, a little bit uh, uh, over $80 million, US dollars, 80 million US dollars to really, you know, like kick it in the high gear scale, um, you know, like great people that you've brought on. So I guess what do you think really gave you guys product market fit? Sure. Uh, I think that the two uh, key aspects, uh, you know, that gave us the product market fit. Uh, so really at a technology level, what we were able to build is, uh, you know, we were able, able to take uh, traditional content distribution technology, uh, which an Akamai uh, and Amazon Web Services, uh, a cloud player have built over decades. Uh, and we were able to miniaturize it, we were able to hyperlocalize it uh, so that we actually put it inside a consumer premise, right? Uh, and what this really does is it takes away the dependence on the existing internet networks uh, because the moment I have a CDNet server sitting inside a consumer premise, I, I can now expose this over a local area network to the consumer. Uh, and the local area network is is free, it's unlicensed, it's, it's as reliable as it can get. Uh, and so the experience for a consumer is seamless. Uh, and we're actually able to make existing apps, uh, you know, so that's not a fragmented experience for the consumer, uh, work using our CDN. Uh, and so literally the, the net result of this ends up being, uh, you know, I can utilize an existing internet app in a place where, uh, you know, connectivity is patchy or connectivity uh, does not exist consistently, uh, which majorly includes most of transport, which majorly includes remote and rural areas, uh, which is where the growth in India and across the world is is happening, uh, and these are the markets that uh, you know all of the existing internet services want to expand into. So that was really the you know the twofold uh, sort of product market fit here for the consumers. Uh, we were catering to a, a very core need that they have in a certain user context, uh, and for the businesses and the apps, we were catering to. Uh, the focus that they had in terms of growth over the next three to five years. Uh, so I think these are the two two key aspects that that really gave us the product market fit. Very cool, very cool. So I guess what's next for Sugarbox? I mean, what what do you think the you know like the the future holds for you guys? Sure. Uh, so I think the future for Sugarbox is 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 very simple. Uh, in the short run, and and this is literally over the next two years. Uh, we're sort of focusing on 300-odd million people uh, that travel uh, every month in India. Uh, and this is between a, a bunch of public transport networks. Uh, and they spend an aggregate of close to about two and a half billion hours a month uh, inside these transport networks, uh, where connectivity and, and the existing telco networks uh, you know, are, are patchy, unreliable, and so people are unable to consume internet services uh, while they're traveling in a captive state. Uh, and so we sort of want to revolutionize the experience for these guys over the next two years. Uh, the next five-year target is, uh, you know, and after this deal happened, they've uh, actually had companies reach out to us from, from Indonesia, from Philippines, from Nigeria, from Brazil, uh, actually telling us that the, that the problems with respect to connectivity and internet networks in these countries uh, are even worse than the problems that we face in India. Uh, and so over the next five years, it's, it's literally, you know, uh, taking the digital growth uh, down to the next billion, two billion people uh, across these NBU geographies across the country, uh, across the world. Got it. So obviously, I mean, the the experience that you guys had and, and you especially, um, you know, personally, you knowing your entrepreneurial journey, I mean, it's quite remarkable. So 
one of the questions that I typically ask the guests that come on the show is, if you had the opportunity to go back in time and, and give that younger self, that younger Rohit, maybe that Rohit that was thinking about launching the first business, one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why, knowing what you know now? What would you tell yourself? Sure. Uh, I think I would, I would tell myself just one thing that, that literally I tell all of my guys, right? Uh, and, and that is uh, the day you feel like you're an expert on something, uh, cherish that day and forget about it the next day. Uh, because if you really feel like you're an expert, you're, you're losing, uh, you know, the, the curiosity uh, that not being an expert brings to the table. Uh, and I think in many ways that curiosity is what fuels the innovation, uh, which has been consistent in everything that I've done. Very cool. So for the folks that are listening, Rohit, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Uh, the best way is email. Uh, we're available on sugarboxnetworks.com and my email is rohit at sugarboxnetworks.com. Uh, so feel free to just drop a line and, and I'll reply back in 24 hours. Amazing. Well, Rohit, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. Thank you so much, Alejandro. It was a pleasure. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.